Uh, We're in a series called Partnering with Grace, and we're going to talk about money. If you're here for the first time, or you're a guest, or you're new here, and you've been here a few times, I just want to warn you, yes, we're talking about money. I did some research since the last time I talked about money, two weeks ago, and I'm, I'm persuaded that we aren't obsessed with money. The church historically is not obsessed with money, though there are people inside of the church that do get obsessed with it. Uh, if we were obsessed with money, the, the music would reflect that. And when I look at the history of the church and then when I look at the, the songs that have been written, the songs that are sung and the things that are done, it's not people who are consumed with gathering money to themselves. It's a people who are consumed with the beauty, the glory, and the majesty of God. Our songs would be like, you know, Let It Rain would be about, you know, dollar bills and stuff, right? And it's not. It's about let the Spirit of God reign on us, right? Um, <laughs> there, there'd be expressions that come out of the church that have to do with our own resources and our own money and our own promotion, but that's not what we see. What we see is a lifting up of Jesus Christ, and what we see is, a, is an honoring and a, and a glorification of a man who gave absolutely everything that he is. When the church is functioning well, what you hear is a people who are looking for opportunities to give. You see that hospitals were built by the church as a ministry to the people that they were reaching. It wasn't a money-making venture. So when you hear about churches building hospitals, we think negatively because we think, oh, well, that's just a money-grabbing scheme. No, that's not why they were originally built. It was to help people. I mean, even Guinness, the beer company, was a missionary family. Stephen Mansfield wrote a cool book on that book called God and Guinness. And you can read about how they used this, this high-quality beer to proclaim the gospel to these people by providing good jobs and clean water. It's kind of neat. But the church hasn't been about gathering resources and money to itself. The church has been about moving resources through for the extension of the kingdom, the expansion of God's glory, and to glorify Jesus who is in heaven Amen. and alive at the right hand of God. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how you can have uh, technology and you can be like, man, I wish I could do something. If only I could find a way to do what I want to do. And then you realize that there's uh, actually the functionality there. You just didn't know about it. This week, I want to talk about a different kind of problem that we face. And that's the problem where you have a thing. You know you have the thing. You just aren't using it right. You know, I, I asked Facebook. I did a Facebook survey, which are never accurate, about <laughs> About, about what kind of things do we have but use incorrectly? And some of the information was really, really helpful. Did you know that the exit signs, when there's a big green exit sign, depending on which side the, the number is on, is the side that the exit will be on? It's pretty cool. So like, or, you know, so like the, the big exit sign and then they've got the little sign posted above it. Sometimes it's on the right, sometimes it's on the left. Apparently, if it's on the left, it's a left exit. If it's on the right, it's a right exit. So I hope that's true. I didn't confirm it. Um, most of the people on my Facebook thread were really, really negative people. And they said people aren't using their brains, right? <laughs> you can tell the election's leaking through on my Facebook page. Um, people said you're using utensils wrong. People said things like you're using shoehorns wrong and you're eating cupcake, cupcakes wrong. Apparently, the right way to eat a cupcake is to break it in half and put the icing in the middle and then eat it. Like a sandwich. I've done it since. It's delicious. <laughs> and it keeps it off your face. 
Right? So, I mean, apparently we're eating bananas wrong. You're supposed to hold the big, long part on the bottom and bust it off on the top, and that deals with the seed right off the top, right? So apparently, uh, life hacks is full of things that we should have known already, but we've been doing all wrong. Uh, today, it's, it's really, I just want to, I want to pose the possibility that what we have in terms of resources, that we've been using them wrong. That oftentimes we become a reservoir of resources instead of a, a river of resource. We gather resources, being money and things, to ourselves, for ourselves, instead of, to, uh, instead of bringing it to us to push out to other people. We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 12. I'll read it and it'll also be on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible with you. The point, of this, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having sufficient, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I'm going to read verse 12 as well. It says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is God's word for us. Jesus, we love you. Help us to grow into a giving people according to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by making an observation about this passage before I break it down into two primary points. And that is that on the surface, this could sound a little bit like the philosophy of karma. Has everybody ever thought that? That sowing and reaping and karma sound a lot alike? And maybe, you know, if, you know, treat others the way that you want to be treated and some of the, some of the things that are drawn from the Bible can begin to sound a little bit like karma? Has anybody? I need a head nod. I won't waste my time on it if you haven't. Okay, so thank you. Okay, so I just want to highlight the distinctions between karma and the law of sowing and reaping. And that is this, that karma is an impersonal force. That if I do a thing, the universe will supply something to me according to kind of my action. And then this impersonal force is going to respond somehow to my action. The reality is that God is not an impersonal force. God is intensely personal. So personal that he wasn't satisfied just to send prophets and representatives of himself to let us know about his plan for mankind. But he came down in the form of man himself to bring that message. Because God is so intensely personal, he wanted to ensure that that message was brought and so that we could see what the fullness of God looks like in mankind. He saw fit to do it himself. He didn't see fit to talk about what it looks like to resist temptation. He resisted it on our behalf. He didn't want to say, I understand what pain would feel like. He said, I'm going to feel it because I, because I will, I will take on the fullness of what you would experience. If you stay in your sin and death, I will take it on and experience it in my body because I am so intensely personal. 
Jesus encourages his disciples. He says, I know the number of hairs on your head, right? Paraphrasing. It's like the birds of the air are provided for. I know if a sparrow falls to the ground. I know that I provide for the flowers. I am intensely personal and intensely focused on the details. He knows, is aware of, and cares about the details of your life. He's not going to tell you if you should go to Wendy's or Burger King. I'm not saying like you've got to pray and stress out. God cares about the details of my life. Should I do this or should I do this? Should I wear these pants or those pants? This shirt or that shirt? Just be dressed. That'd be a good start. And then he can redirect you if you did badly. With me? He cares about us. Sowing and reaping is, is, not, um, is not just concerned. Sowing and reaping in this case, in this passage is not talking about uh, eternal glory where karma is kind of talking about uh, is, is talking about an, an afterlife so sowing and reaping here is not referring to an afterlife it's uh, our afterlife in Christianity is not karma that if I do this then there may be some good result for me in my next life or or in a life to come the idea is that our next life is purchased and assured by the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and so there's the other distinction that it's it's not it's not random, it's, it's personal, and it's not ambiguous, it's, it's certain. And that's the whole thing about this faith, is that we have certainty about our eternity. And even though sometimes we might be a little bit, a little bit nervous, it's like sometimes we, we, sometimes we just boil our faith down to like getting our kids to school on time, or, or maybe my kid won't fail this class, or they'll get a better behavior grade, or maybe I'll get a promotion, or that person at work will leave me alone. Sometimes we reduce our faith all the way down to those things that we, but we forget about the big picture of the gospel, about what God is really up to in our lives and for our lives. Because it's easy to get distracted by the busyness and the chaos of life. But we shouldn't marginalize the gospel down to just wanting a new car. Or wanting, or wanting nicer things or more stuff. We need to remember that this is really about eternity. And our response to this message is an eternal decision. So the two ideas that I want to draw out from this passage are that we have a responsibility and God, our personal, intensely personal, loving God, responds. Our responsibility in this is that we give. The text assumes, the text assumes that we will. The text makes that assumption right off the top that we're going to be giving. It'll, it'll either be, it'll either be um, generous, it'll be bountiful, or it'll be lenient, right? It'll be sparingly, or it'll be much. But we're going to give. The reality is that we're sowing into things all the time. Parents, we know this well, don't we? I'm going to invest in my child by sending them to this class or by... by by putting them on this team or by putting them in this place and, and getting them in this program. And so I'm going to invest in that. We sow into it and we see results. And when we don't see results, we'll change and put it somewhere else. But we're constantly sowing because we're built to sow. 
It's something that's wired into who we are and how God has created us to be, to be people who sow. And without being directed by God about how and where to sow, we'll just sow kind of haphazardly. If you're curious about where you're sowing, I say this a different way often, but you can look at your calendar and you can look at your your bank statement. And it'll tell you where you are sowing and the amount by which you're sowing, if it's sparingly or bountifully. We sow into our relationship with God when we meditate on His Word, when we spend time with other believers and we, and we have conversations about Scripture. Had an interesting conversation with my small group the other night about uh, why don't we tell people not to give? At church, it was a question that was raised by somebody here on a Sunday morning after the uh, two weeks ago. They said, "You know, I'm just just curious if people are giving with bad motivations, and if giving from bad motivations can bear bad fruit. Why not tell people not to give?" It's like that's a great question. And so I brought it to my small group and we wrestled with scripture and we wrestled with our own ideas and we wrestled about the pros and cons of this idea. It was a great conversation. In the end. I believe it's that giving is part of God's nature. It's his giving disposition that allows us and permits us to have everything and anything that we have. As we behold God, as we, as we become like him, as he cleanses us, as he purifies us, as he makes us more like him, we'll behave more like him. If I tell you not to give because you're giving with the wrong motivation, I take away the possibility of you giving correctly which is really what God's after. So we've got to examine our our motivation in our giving. To that point, if, if you're if you're coming to church for wrong motivations, my my you know, to, to get attention or to feel good about yourself or for something else, I'm not gonna tell you don't just don't come to church if you're coming to feel good. What I'm gonna say is, hey, instead of just coming to feel good, Come and worship Jesus and come to learn and come to minister and come to receive from God. Come to give something of his spirit and to pour into someone else. That'll be, it'll be a shift of priority, not, not just a cutting off, cutting off of the behavior because it's a lot harder to get started from not than it is to redirect. But, um, well, I I guess it's the rare occasion, but there, there is a rare occasion where I would tell you, hey, just don't come. Right? It's only, I I can only think of maybe two or three times in all of my life where I've told somebody, don't come to church anymore. And those are people who had awful ambition. Not just, not just it wasn't productive for themselves, but it was destructive for other people. And I said, you know, yeah, we come just as we are, but you're coming wrong. You're coming like a wolf and you're trying to pick people off and you're trying to wreck people's lives. And you can't take people down with you. And there's always a bridge back. Right? The bridge back for the people that I talked to said, if you come, you're sitting next to me. Because I'm not going out with you. Right? And I'm not as beautiful to you. Ain't nobody wanted to sit next to me. I'm not even, I'm not even cool, you know? It's like, can I just sit with somebody who's cool? No. You're going to sit with me and... You know, you're going to serve with me and you're going to come early and you're going to stay late and you're going to work. So that's not in my notes. I was just 
if I was going to talk about not inviting people to church, I wanted to tell you kind of the circumstances in there. Um, but the reality is, outside of those rare exceptions, the best thing is to be here anyway. And then to have our hearts redirected, because at least here you'll hear correctly. At least if you're giving, there's the opportunity that your motivations will be steered and, and corrected and, and God can produce change and transformation in your life so that you can give in a way that honors him and doesn't just uh, stir, your own, stir your own heart. Wrong motivations for giving would be to get credit or glory or honor or attention from man. It would be to uh, exaggerate what it is that you're giving. My small group, we, we, looked, we looked at the book of Acts where two people were struck dead for lying about the offering that they brought. Right? That's intense. That'd be, that'd be a short-lived church in this day. <laughs> Social media, I'd have a field day with that. Never mind the election. <laughs> that church is going to kill everybody. Now, right motivation to give would be not to earn something, but to, be, but to give because you've been given everything. There's nothing that you have that you haven't been given. Either from someone else or by the grace of Almighty God. And so to live out of that, as opposed to trying to win something to yourself, is a way that we can honor God. God is not after your wallet. He's got enough resources. You know, the, there's a law in, in uh, science that matter can't be created from nothing. I butchered it, right? But that's the, the basic idea, right? That matter can't come from nothing, except for the times that God created the universe. <laughs> he, can, he can overwrite that law anytime, he, anytime he'd like, and he did to form the world and everything in it. And everything has come from that since. He's not after our wallet. He's after our heart. It's just that the wallet is somehow the most direct route to our heart, isn't it? So quick. Right? I was explaining to my kids discipline. You know, and they were upset that daddy doesn't get disciplined the way that they get disciplined. <laughs> you know, we were having a conversation. We, we, we spank in our, in our household to a certain age. And we can talk about what, a, what an appropriate age is and how, what an appropriate spanking looks like. We're not talking about whooping. We're not talking about grabbing the nearest thing and chucking it at the kid. We're not talking, <laughs> right? We're not talking about bruises. We're not talking about these things. We're talking about intentional discipline that's restorative in nature, okay? But also it's like, hey, this hurts, but if you keep on with this attitude, you're going to have a whole world of hurt later in life. So I'd rather your little tush sting a little bit now than, than you reap the, the consequences of what this attitude would sow later, okay? So that's how we believe about it. Uh, but they were upset that daddy doesn't get spankings when I've got a good attitude and I can just apologize, <laughs> And then one day I got a speeding ticket. And I was like, remember those spankings? <laughs> this is a spanking to dad. 
Because it hurts. It's like, dang, I was going to use that for something. Well, I guess I'll use it to pay. Right? And God will do it too. It's not just speeding tickets. God will lean on me and be like, all right, I'll discipline you a little bit. I'll make it tight. Not that it's always, not that if things are rough, that it's always God. But sometimes I know it's God discipline. I know it's him saying, no, no, no. Pay attention to me up here. Pay attention to me. And, you know, I want to think about the money. He's like, no, no, no. This is the test. Pay attention to me, Dave. But God's not after our money. He's after our heart. God's response is that he will pour out abundantly and he's able to make all grace abound to you so that you'll have sufficient. I love this. I love this sentence right here. It's like, it's like Paul just got so excited that all of a sudden we see the, the superlative nature of God and his absolute generous disposition towards us. Check this out. Listen to this. He, he doesn't, well, I'll say what he doesn't say. He doesn't say God is making, God is able to make some grace abound to you so that having enough sufficiency in thing in in some things sometimes you may abound in occasional good work right like that's not the providence that's not the that's not the generosity that's not the provision of our god the provision and the grace of god is that he will make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Man, I got to memorize that. How great is our God that that would be his response to us giving something that wasn't even ours in the first place. Be, I, I just, I picture my kid giving a gift to a kid with my money and then being like, good job, let's go to the toy store and buy the whole thing out for you. I feel like that's God's disposition towards us. Good job with that little bit I gave you. I'm just going to love on you with more. God gives to you. You give to someone who has need. God supplies you. The need is supplied. The new need is supplied. And God is glorified. It's like the circle of life without all the death. It's like just the circle of life. It's like life upon life upon life upon life upon life upon life. And God continues to pour out provision and blessing because he doesn't require for something to be created. He could create it out of nowhere if he wanted to. But instead what he does is he looks for people who are giving so that he can rearrange the accounts and put more in your account. He could just make it out of nowhere if he needed to. Like if we, if we had a shortage of resources on this earth, he could be like, I'll just, I'll just create more for Sean because Sean is giving. But that's not the case. He's like, you know what? That's not being used well over there. I'm going to move it over to Sean because Sean's using it well. He'll move it to the account that's producing. I love it. I love that part of what this produces is, is righteousness. You know, it doesn't say a Maserati. He knew it was coming. He could have said it. God could have been like, Paul, promise him a Maserati. Paul's like, I don't know what that is. He's, don't worry about it. It's coming. And it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. But what he does is he talks about grace abounding. In verse 10, he says, 
He's going to multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He's going to transform us, spiritually speaking, in our soul by us giving money that doesn't make sense except for God. Giving in, in the thing that we think that we need the most should make us sad. It should produce unrighteousness and a desire to go take other people's things. I just gave this away. I'm going to go take somebody else's because I need it. But instead it produces righteousness. And I, I'm, I'm just, I marvel at the beauty and grace of our God that that's his position towards us, his disposition towards us. That he supplies seed to the sower, bread for food. He multiplies then seed for sowing and, and, and produces an increase of the harvest of, of righteousness. And then he enriches everything. Father, we love you. I thank you that you give so generously. I ask that you would make us the kind of people that have this disposition toward those around us, towards those who we love God, that we would take on the ministry of generosity as we pursue your grace that abounds. I thank you that as we give, you'll supply more so that we can continue to give and doing so glorify you and make you great in this land. God, I pray for uh, my family this morning. I pray for, for every person who's wrestling with this election. God, that you would be to them the Prince of Peace. And you would allow your rest and comfort to settle down in our hearts and that we would know that you're in control. We would have confidence knowing that you are not shaken. Your kingdom is not scared. Your kingdom is advancing. Help us, God, not to even just stay in a neutral place, but for our hope to rise. Regardless of what happens on Tuesday morning and in the days to come, God, that we would have our hope set firmly on you, that our eyes would be on you, our ears would be tuned to your spirit and what you would say to us, that we would respond in faith and we would be your church and we would show kindness to those with different views, that you would give us the courage to pray for all leadership and that we would abound in grace. according to your purpose. Love you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.